The reading today is Psalm 119, verses 1 to 48. And I believe this is a poem. Not that you can hear it in English, but it's a beautiful poem. Let's listen. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all of their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Be good to your servant while I live, that I may obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on the earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are accursed, those who stray from your commands. Remove from me their scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counsellors. I am laid low in the dust. I preserve my life, preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the ways of your precepts that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I've set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding, so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for 
I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Thank you, Caroline. Uh, well, it was today, 20 years ago, 15th of January 2003, that Narelle and I arrived in Adelaide uh, in our silver Tarago with three little girls, having come across the Hay Plains uh, and started work at the Trinity Network 20 years ago today. I can, can't think of a better way to celebrate our 20th anniversary than to open up this part of God's word for you and then to baptise someone afterwards. I just think that's terrific. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this psalm, which is so rich and yet also so challenging. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our paths. Please light the way that you want us to walk in. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you've got your phones, you might like to open up on your Bible app to Psalm 119. If you need a Bible, stick up your hand and someone will run around and grab one for you and bring it down to you. Okay, so it'd be great to have that open. We'll be flipping through it. So Psalm 119, welcome to the longest of the Psalms. Written by a man who loves God's word, who is enthusiastic for God's word, whose enthusiasm is both amazing and exhausting. He delights in God's word, his statutes, his precepts, his commands, his promises, his decrees, his laws. He uses all these words to describe God's word. And he delights in God's word not just because he loves the language of an acrostic poem beautifully constructed like this one, but because he loves God. He loves God sincerely. He loves God personally. Because what sticks out when you read this like snail's eyes, which most people miss, is that this psalm is not just about the word of God. It is actually a prayer to God. Um, he speaks to God about the love for all that he has or for what God says. Why? Because it's God who he's seeking. That's the heart of it. Looking at just at verses 10 to 16, he says, he seeks the Lord with all of his heart. He begs that God would not let him stray from his commands. He asks, verse 12, for God to teach him. He says, verse 11, he has hidden God's word in his heart. That is, he's internalized it so that he wouldn't sin against God. How so? Verse 13, with my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. He's memorized it and he draws it up and plays it in his mind. Verse 15, he meditates on it. He holds God's word in his mind. He turns it over, right, like a cow chewing its cud. He considers all of God's ways. And in doing so, he discovers that following God's statutes is a thing to be rejoiced in. He says in verse 16, he delights in the decrees of the Lord. 
That is, here's someone who wants to know God, and he wants to know God's mind. He wants to know what God desires of him. He wants to then walk with God in obedience to God. Why? Because he loves the Lord God. Now, if you are someone who has come to know God, then you will be able to identify with at least some of this psalmist's experience, uh, the joy of fellowship with the Lord who's your father, who loves you, the value of meditating on God's revealed word, taking a verse, turning it over slowly in your mind, letting that transform your life, the sense of alignment that you get when you, you read what God wants and then you think, this is right, and now, now that I know what's right, I'm going to walk in it. So in one sense, it's possible to identify with uh, the psalmist, but as well as identifying with him, maybe like me, when you read of this guy's zeal for God's word, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, truth be told, that's not me. Maybe, sometimes it is, but consistently, no. Maybe you're thinking, I'd love to, to love God and love his word more, but to be honest, my Bible reading is frankly a bit of a struggle. Is that you? Do you read Psalm 119 and think, I'd love that to be me, but it's not? It can be very easy to drift, can't it? It can be easy to go for days, for even weeks, since you truly open up God's word for yourself. This man cultivates his relationship with God. It's not automatic, he cultivates it. Do you, like this man, love God and thirst to hear his word? Do you, like this man, love God and consistently speak to him in prayer? Or do you think your relationship with God is something more like um, the relationship between a, a sponsor, an adult sponsor and a sponsor child you know, in another country? There's a benefactor at a distance who you know is there who will have your back if you really call out. But basically, it's a distant relationship. You're not that close. It would be easy for me to use this psalm to preach against slackness. But there's more to it than that. Because I think most of us want what this man wants, but we're distracted. And we're distracted because we seek what the psalmist wants in different ways. Have a look at verse 1. The psalm begins by pronouncing um, those who are blessed by God. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Now, that's why this man seeks God with all of his heart, because he wants to be someone who's blessed by God. To be blessed means to be someone who enjoys God's favour to enjoy the good things from God. Isn't that what all of us want? Isn't that what we strive for in life? To enjoy God and to enjoy the good gifts and the prosperity that God promises. You take Psalm 1, for example, the title psalm in the whole book of Psalms, which pronounces blessing and prosperity on a man exactly like this man in Psalm 119. Psalm 1, the title of the whole Psalms. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight 
is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's this guy, isn't it? Someone who meditates on God's word at night, at midnight, throughout the watches of the night, before dawn, and then all through the day, and you wonder how he gets any sleep. I think he's just saying, whenever I'm awake, I'm thinking of God's word. Psalm 1 says, such a person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Whatever he does, he prospers. Now, I think that explains the mindset of this man. He seeks God. He delights to do so because it's the path to blessing. And most of us, if we're pressed, would probably say, yes, we agree with that. We walk with God with the expectation that God then will bless us. And yet at the same time, if you've been around the block a few times, experience makes you cautious. Because experience tells you that walking with God isn't necessarily a foolproof formula to blessing. We know, you can think of many faithful and godly Christians who you know, for whom the opposite might seem true, that very often things don't go well for the ungodly. So often the opposite of what we expect comes true. Mike Newbury unpacked this for you last week, didn't he? Um, often it's the godless who prosper. Psalm 73, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their, their tongues take possession of the earth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. So experience can make you cautious. And then maybe what happens is we look for blessing in other ways. Maybe we say the path to blessing really is not through seeking God, but through our own hard work, through our own accumulated wisdom. Maybe that's why we're not as zealous as this man. Or maybe the reason why we're not as zealous is simply the other issue which stops us cultivating our relationship with God. And that is we're sinners. Our fallenness. It comes out in verse 5. He cries out in frustration, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Everyone who has sought to know God through his word and to walk in his ways knows the agony of that cry. Our longing to consistently obey God from within, to be faithful to him always but yet stumbling. Well, what's the way ahead? He asks the question, really, in verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? That's really what he's saying. How can I be consistent in my obedience? The answer, he says, is by living according to your word. And so what follows in the next 167 verses, we're not going to go through each one, is like a diary of what it means for him to live according to the word of God. In other words, he's setting himself up as the person who tries with all their might to obey God, to keep their way pure of sin, and by doing so, hopefully obtain blessing from God. Here is the test case, in other words. Someone who tries their utmost to obey. The person who God will surely bless, we think. And as we read through, we discover in his diary, yes, God does bless him, although not in the ways you'd necessarily expect. Because you don't have to look very far, and it came out in our reading, before you discover that he is already being persecuted. And persecution gets worse as the psalm progresses. 
So as we go through, he is scorned, he's treated with contempt. Verse 23, he is slandered by those who are his rulers. He is weary with sorrow. He fears being disgraced. Verse 51, he is taunted and mocked without restraint. Verse 78, he is smeared with lies and wronged without cause. Verse 87, he is almost wiped from the face of the earth. My goodness gracious. Verse 95, people wish to destroy him. Verse 109, he constantly takes his life into his hands. He has many foes, including rulers, who plot his downfall. Verse 161. That is, he's trying to obey God and yet experiences persecution. Why? Because he's trying to obey God. That's the reason. He suffers because of his obedience, not in spite of it, but because of it. You can see it in his determination not to give in to his persecutions by turning from God. Verse 51, the arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. Or verse 69, though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. So there's a connection between persecution and his obedience. He's persecuted because he obeys God. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise to us because it's true, isn't it? And Jesus predicted this, and so did Paul in the New Testament. He gets it. But he also gets that because God is in charge and because he's the ruler over all things, ultimately, he, he understands his suffering because of his obedience ultimately comes from the Lord's hand. Whoa. In verse 75, he makes the astonishing admission that God in his faithfulness, has afflicted him. You see what he's admitting? He's persecuted because of his stand of obedience, and this comes ultimately at the Lord's hand. Whoa, now we're wading into big waters, deep waters, aren't we? If you had a rather rigid view of the relationship between obedience and prosperity this man's situation would force you to think again. Scripture tells us that God hasn't removed suffering from people who are obedient to him. And Jesus himself is the chief example. We're told in 2 Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And yet... We're also told in the Psalms, God promises to bless the obedient. So we say, where's the blessing? Well, the psalmist can list several, and I'll list a couple of them. The first is repentance. Repentance. Look with me at verse 67. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Now, just chew that over. Before he had to suffer for taking God seriously, he didn't take God seriously. Frequently he went astray. It was only when his walk with God brought him hardship that a life of obedience was forged. Affliction forges character. When someone laughs at you for being a Christian, your decision to live for Christ suddenly becomes weighty, heavy. I was talking with Eva this week. She was talking about how some boys at her school um, were throwing a Bible around. It's only a book, but it was disrespectful against God. 
Eva went and grabbed the Bible. It's only a book, but she stood up for God. Well, she endured the laughter of those who were there. She said, it's okay. She was willing to do it. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. With the cost of being true to God, there's also fellowship with God because you know that you shared in the sufferings that Christ himself endured because of his obedience. You think, I'm now tasting a little bit of what Jesus went through. There's a weird fellowship in that. I'm not saying we should be masochists or sadists, right, or anything like that, but when it happens, you know Jesus went through it too. Which is why in verse 71 he says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. When I was 12 years old, I was connected with the church through a boys' brigade. And I'd say my prayers at night, hoping to earn brownie points with God. After a few years, I realised that's not what prayer was about. And I decided to take God seriously and I nailed my flag to the mast and let people know at my school that I was a Christian. Well, it was as if I'd suddenly painted a huge target on me <laughs> in an all-boys school, front and back, and it, it's as if I had just given everyone a license to mock me, uh, which they did for all, all, their, all that they could. Um, and then I remember feeling quite hurt, but remembering, thinking, if that's what my friends did, Jesus was a much better friend. He would never do that. And suddenly I saw what a rich thing it was to know him. I hadn't seen it before, but I saw it then. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. The first blessing of choosing to obey God is repentance. The next is freedom. Verse 45, the psalmist proclaims, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Now, again, that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? How can someone be more free by having more laws? Why not forget the laws and just live however you want? The answer is that true freedom comes when we're living the way God made us to live, which is in obedience to him. And that's why there's nothing that's more miserable than a disobedient Christian, someone who knows the way they should go but consciously doesn't do it. And it's miserable. If someone comes to me and says their relationship with God is not going well, the first question to ask is, are you reading the Bible and praying or has that stopped? And then the second question is, are you deliberately sinning and haven't stopped? True freedom comes from knowing God and knowing how he's made us to live and then doing it. That's the freedom of a, a train that's moving along its track. If we ignore how our creator wants us to live and, and we, then we have all the freedom of a train that leaves its track and gets bogged. Okay, it's not on the track anymore, but it can't go anywhere. Okay. That is exactly what we're seeing in our society as our society moves further and further away from its Christian roots. What does our society need? It needs people like you and me who immerse ourselves in God's word, who know what God wants, and then shines it out to others. Okay. The third blessing that comes from soaking ourselves in God's word is holiness, which means to become like God in his character. 
which means positively um, learning to love what God commands. Verse 129, your statutes are wonderful and therefore I obey them. But also it means negatively to become distressed by the godlessness that we see in ourselves and in others. Verse 113, I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. In other words, soaking yourselves in God's word reforms your mind because you know what God loves and you know what God hates. And it reforms your heart because you learn to love what God loves and you learn to hate what God hates. And that is his whole outlook becomes one increasingly held by God. Uh, He becomes godly and increasingly less held by the world, a worldly outlook. So that's the benefit of holiness. Uh, Fourthly, to those benefits, we could add the benefit of peace, 165. Um, Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Peace. Or fifthly, understanding, verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I thought when I was going through university as an undergraduate that professors and lecturers were wise. And I confused knowledge with wisdom. And it wasn't until I finished my undergraduate and then hopped onto the faculty just as a tutor, a low-level tutor, but suddenly my lecturers were now my peers and they entered me into their life. And I thought their lives are so messed up, really badly. And I thought, I'm wiser than them, I'm only 19. But not because I'm innately wise, it's because I know what God wants. Okay, I didn't have their knowledge, that was another thing. But wisdom isn't just knowledge, it's knowing how to live in God's world and thrive as God's person. Okay. Sixthly, uh, the really big blessing that comes through again and again is hope. Remember, your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. Verse 50, my comfort in my suffering is this, your word preserves my life. In God's word and God's promises to him, which he's meditated, he finds a life-preserving hope. Hope is important when life gets tough. It keeps you going, right? Hope is necessary in affliction. But it's important to see here that it's not some vague wish that things will turn out well. This man's hope rests on what God has promised and what God's written down in Scripture. It's the same promise we find at the beginning of the psalm. It's the same promise we find at the beginning of the book of Psalms. God's promise to bless the righteous, that is, to save them. God's promise to punish the wicked on the day of judgment. And it's this firm hope that he knows the path to salvation that keeps him going. Later he'll say plainly, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So whereas anyone else would have given up, his life was preserved because he had a hope. So what God's shown us are the real and present blessings that God gives us when we actively cultivate our relationship and our love with him through immersing ourselves in his word and then praying. There's the blessing of repentance. There's the blessing of freedom and holiness and peace and understanding and, most importantly, hope. So there is value in seeking to know God and his will. But there's more, because the psalmist is also aware of blessings yet to come, 
And for the sake of time, I'm only going to mention two. The first and most obvious is salvation. He says, my soul faints with longing for your salvation. My eyes fail looking for your promise. When will you comfort me? How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? Look on my suffering and deliver me. Salvation, which is the end to suffering and the vindication of someone who's walked with God against those who haven't, it's the restoration of his life. It's the enjoyment of prosperity and abundance um, in the rich fellowship of saints and of God. This is a blessing that's future. The psalmist waited for it and so do we. How will it come? Verse, someone said that it came to the blameless person who meditates on God's law day and night. Now, I want you to try and stay with me through the narrative thread or the, the arc that goes through this psalm. This psalmist was the test case. But the fact that he is still waiting tells us that despite our best efforts, ultimate blessing cannot come by human effort, can it? It can't come by our striving for obedience. It can't come by our own cleverness. It can't come by our own zeal, our own energy, though we might spend our lives expending it. If we were to go now to the very end of the psalm, uh, the psalm begins with a cry of frustration that his obedience isn't steadfast. After all his striving, how do we, where do we get to at the end? Verse 176, he says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Save your servant. Despite his efforts to obtain God's full blessing by his own obedience, the psalm ends where it begins with a deep awareness that he's fallen. He is a sheep who's gone astray. And so what meditating on the scripture does is it gives you a strong conviction of the truth that to gain God's blessing, all of us, what we really need is a shepherd because we can't do it ourselves. We need a shepherd who will come looking for us and will find us. And friends, that is the most important insight you can get. Because if you miss it, you'll misunderstand what Christianity is all about. You'll think it's all about rule keeping or trying harder. If you miss seeing that in your heart of hearts you are a wayward sheep who can't keep on the right track as much as you might try, you will miss seeing that your biggest need is, is for a shepherd. <laughs> A shepherd who will come looking for you when you wander. A shepherd who will pull you back. A shepherd who will rejoice when he finds you again. And if you don't see that, of course, you're missing that Jesus is your shepherd. He came as the blameless one of Psalm 1. He, not you or I or this psalmist, was the one who prospered under God. He was the one who gained his father's pleasure he was the one whose words in scripture guide us in the way we should go. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He lays down his blameless life as a substitute to bring us God's blessing. And now, 
resurrected, ascended into heaven by his spirit. He's still guiding us. He's still shepherding us through his words to us because it's his spirit that inspired these words and it's his spirit that is at work in you when you open God's word to bring conviction about where you need to change and come back. And that's how he does it, you see. 1 Peter chapter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. By his wounds you're not just, it's not just your guilt that's dealt with. It's ultimately your waywardness as well. He heals you of it so you can walk with him. He said, you were like sheep going astray. Now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Okay, come back to the question. How much blessing can we expect from God now? The whole psalm, when you step back from it, tells us that while sin remains, complete blessing is not ours. It will be when Jesus returns, when sin is done away with. Then we have complete blessing. But in the meantime, while we're waiting salvation, God does bless us with precisely those things which address our waywardness. And they come to us in his word. And here is the value of it. In our suffering, God becomes our conscious comfort and hope. We need that, don't we? And in our waywardness, through his word, we discover that Christ is leading us as the saviour shepherd. And that's what we need. So he blesses us with exactly what we need. How do you appreciate it? You dwell in God's word. Father in heaven, may 2023 be a year when each one of us takes to heart your word and does something to change the way we look at it. Uh, please help us in the busyness of our lives not to be distracted from you. Help us to carve out time when we can immerse yourselves and we pray that you would speak to us and shape us so that we would not only walk in your ways but think your thoughts and we need correction. So please help us. And we need hope. And we need encouragement. We need you. We need Jesus. Amen.